0: Welcome to War Stories from the Womb. Today, my guest experiences pain in her everyday life for years after pregnancy. And then finally, after an exploratory surgery gets a diagnosis she's been waiting for. This is a show that shares true experiences of getting pregnant, being pregnant, and giving birth to help shift the common cultural narrative away from the glossy depictions of this enormous transition that you can find on all kinds of media, to a more realistic one. It also celebrates the incredible resilience and strength it takes to create another person and release that new person from your body into the world. I'm your host, Paulette Kamenika I'm a writer and an economist and the mother of two girls. In today's episode, you'll hear how Kayshawn, a nurse-turned-businesswoman who is a mother of four, uses the pain and trauma from her four complicated pregnancies to help other people both find their voice and consider natural remedies to things like fibroids and endometriosis. What follows is the second part of our conversation. I also include insights about the latest thinking on preeclampsia shared by a professor of obstetrics and gynecology. We return to Kayshawn's story as she's describing the consequence of carefully investigating her fibroid situation as she's trying to avoid a hysterectomy.
1: In a way, the, the tumor cancer scare was needed I wouldn't have found out what we found out. Oh my gosh, Paulette. He went in there and found that I have a plate of scar tissue. My uterus is attached to my abdominal wall and the scar tissue was growing through my organs. He said, you saved your life. If you would have went and had that hysterectomy, you would have woke up a completely different person. That doctor wouldn't have been able to do it. You have adhesions connected to your bladder, from your uterus, to your abdominal wall, to your intestines, all my other organs and stuff. And I'm like, I got scar tissue attached to my uterus and my abdominal wall. And I was like, that's why I was never able to walk past that time frame all this time. And, and the doctors were thinking I was crazy, saying it's just the fibroids. And I'm like, no, it's something else. It's something else. And I'm relieved to have a diagnosis and to have answers. But it took 19 years to get this diagnosis.
0: Okay, so endometriosis occurs when the lining of the uterus starts to grow outside the uterine wall. It can grow on ovaries or fallopian tubes or anywhere inside the abdominal cavity, Right now, the current estimates suggest that on average, it can take 10 years before receiving a proper diagnosis. That's the current standard, not the standard that Kayshawn lived under. Why, you might ask, does it take a decade to figure this out? It sounds like the most common symptom is pain. That can register in the pelvic area, but also in other areas like the lower back. It can happen during a bowel movement or during or after sex. And because it can show up in many different places and circumstances, the pain is often attributed to other diseases like irritable bowel syndrome. It's also missed because the pain during your period is considered quote unquote normal. And I'm guessing another aspect of this disease that makes it hard to diagnose definitively is that the only way to know for sure that you have endometriosis is to conduct a surgical procedure where a doctor puts a small telescope inside the abdomen So, thank goodness for this doctor who figured it out, right? Who went to look for it, trusted your description and went look for it. And are the tumors benign? Are they just fibroids? Or, yeah, okay.
1: Yes, they were benign. Okay, good.
0: Okay, good. So, that's amazing. Maybe you can clue us in in your holistic practice. What do you do for fibroids? I'm going to preface Kayshawn's description of her approach to fibroids by just saying that everybody is different. What works for Kayshawn may not work for you. And then again, it may. But this is not medical advice. If you have fibroids, please consult your doctor or whatever health practitioner you see for advice specific to your body. Fibroids are super common, affecting roughly 70% of women. They are tumors in the uterus, but they're often benign. And we don't know what causes a fibroid to grow, but we do know some risk factors that include age. They're more common as you age. Obesity, vitamin D deficiency, hormone irregularities, and race. Numerous studies have shown that African-American women are more likely than their counterparts to develop fibroids.
1: Oh, wow. It's a whole lifestyle for fibroids. You want to do a lot of detoxing. You want to drink a lot of water. You want to do colonics. Castor oil wraps. Oh, castor oil wraps or packs. It's when you take like a wool cloth and you saturate it with castor oil and you put it on your abdomen and wrap it up with saran wrap with a heating pad. Oh, that is a godsend for broids. Drinking like raspberry tea, detox tea, doing detox baths, eliminating a lot of toxins from out of your body. You know, what I learned about with it's We introduce a lot toxins into our bodies, whether if that's the products that we use, what we're eating, the cleaning supplies. So I had to get really holistically clean with my whole lifestyle. I stopped chemically processing, perming my hair. So I went all natural because those goals feed the fibroids. I started using clean skincare products. That's one of the reasons I developed my own skincare line. So I can use all natural products, the cleaning solutions that I use. they have to be clean. And so it was an overall of everything. And and I had my doctors, they were right there with me through this whole journey, doing ultrasounds, watching them shrink. And I remember the last ultrasound that I had did, they were like, they are all gone. They are all calcified. And I'm like, I did it. I can't believe I did this. It, It was hard. It was expensive. But it took like five or maybe even seven years to do it naturally. But they wanted to do surgery. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that.
0: Yeah. Hysterectomy is a major surgery and nice to avoid if you can.
1: Who did the surgery? He was like, if I was to ever choose to have a surgery, he was like, it's going to be a risky surgery. He was like, we have to have every organ that has this adhesion, we would have to have those specialists in the operating room with us, because he said, this has been attached for so long. We don't know what's going to happen when we pull everything apart. So me, the holistic pain and trauma warrior, I'm not having surgery. I'm taking care of this holistically and naturally. It's a very painful process, but I'm working with a pelvic floor therapist, and I'm using massage therapy to manually break the scar tissue.
0: Wow, that sounds like a a big task, but again, to avoid surgery, it seems like it would be totally worth it.
1: It is. I'm glad that I'm able to not act so fast, not be pressured by the medical community. And I'm doing this naturally because I don't wanna be like one of those other women having surgery
0: And it sounds painful, right? It's painful to have endometriosis. Yeah. So
1: I can't work a regular job. I'm fighting to get disability. I can't stand for long periods of time. It's growing through my organs. And even just, oh my gosh, having intercourse. Is extremely painful. And I thought I was crazy and losing my mind. It it caused a division in my marriage because I started I ain't having sex no more because it was excruciating. And I remember one time I was telling my husband, I said, I feel like you're in tissue. Yeah. As you penetrating. And I'm all like, You have to feel that. I know you feel it. I'm not crazy. And his crazy but I was like, Yeah, I do feel that. I He was like, it, it's like he's breaking my virginity each time. Yeah. And I'm yeah. all like, how can you put me through this? And so when I found out about the endometriosis and as the therapist was breaking, you know, doing massage therapy, I'm all like, why are you going all the way down there? You know, yeah. you should be up here. I mean, she was all by the labia. all, And I'm like, I said, it goes all the way down there. She was like, yes, I can feel it. She was like, it's growing all through here. And I was like, can this go? through the vaginal wall? And she was like, yes. And I'm like, oh my God, that's what I was going through all these years, you know? So to just be raw and honest and open with everyone on your platform, I haven't been sexually active in years. Yeah, I have a desire to be sexually active because it's, it's torturous. So, you know, I need to continue my therapy and, and break this tissue down.
0: I'm so grateful that they figured out what it is so that you can stop doubting yourself and appreciate that, you know, your body's right, right? Trust what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Good Lord. That's such a long journey. That's such a, that so many things that you learned along the way. Is there, if you could pick out something, and I know that this is a hard question, pick out something to tell to younger Kayshawn, is there something you would tell her?
1: I would tell younger Kayshawn to slow down and to not herself because you know, third pregnancy, I had preeclampsia again. So the third pregnancy,
0: how do you walk into that? I mean, it's painful to walk. I guess I thought because you were having all this other pain, that was it. You were like, I'm done.
1: I waited three years though, to get pregnant again. Okay. And, and it was, you know, I had just had my second miscarriage. I didn't even know I was pregnant. I had found out we had a, a car accident a really, really bad car accident. Wisdom went out the window. We flipped over. I mean, it was just really crazy. And just through the them checking us up and because I'm bleeding and everything and they find out, they was like, ma'am, you, did you know you were pregnant? And I'm like, no, I didn't know. And they was like, you've lost the baby. And now we need to do a DNC. And I'm like, I'm pregnant and I lost the baby, you know, I just had a car accident. My kids went out the window. My husband almost lost his, his limbs. It, it was just, I'm like, I can't believe this, you know? So it wasn't as devastating as yes. the first one, but you just mean to
0: surrounded, know, surrounded by all the other trauma. Yes.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. But so I get pregnant the third time and I was ready actually I wanted a girl so I was excited to be pregnant this time cuz I've already have two boys I have my husband I'm the only female in the home I'm ready for a girl but it was towards the end of the pregnancy I was at school and almost passed out again and the instructors Uh-oh. they called the ambulance and I get to the hospital and they do the test and they let me know that there's it's eclampsy again, and it was like, "You have to go into surgery right now. It, it's very bad." So, yeah. first, how far along are we? Thirty-eight weeks. So, okay. I had Let's a scheduled see. C-section date just didn't make it to it.
0: And when you feel the dizziness, do you think, oh, shit, this is preeclampsia again? Or you don't, it doesn't
1: feel the same? I don't even think I thought about that because I was trying to get to my class. That's all that I was worried about. And I was just like, hey, something's wrong. Well, maybe I'm tired. Maybe I just need to sit down. But I barely made it into the class and up the stairs and everyone was all over me. kind
0: like- the blood work that shows you have eclampsia is it like liver enzymes or something like what yes. what's telling yeah okay
1: yes okay. liver enzymes and i was scared this time because they was just like oh my god you got to go in my husband got there but we had the little the babies you know we got a, a four-year-old a two-year-old at this time And um, there was no one around and they were going to make me go into surgery by myself. So I'm calling my dad, neighbors, I'm crying. I'm like, I can't go into surgery by myself. And luckily we had the neighbor and my dad got there at the same time. And uh, my husband was able to come in there and be with me.
0: And so they do another emergency C-section, which now I feel like you're like, oh, this again?
1: Yes, it's another emergency C-section, but my bladder wasn't cut this time. I was only in the hospital for three days. I actually was able to walk on the first day. So it was just that scary process, but it just made me think, why is this happening again?
0: To experience preeclampsia once is a huge challenge. To experience it twice is hard to get your head around. I took this issue to Dr. Jellin, the Program Director of Maternal Fetal Medicine Fellowship and Associate Professor of Gynecology and Obstetrics at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, who provided insights about preeclampsia in last week's show. Other than the existence of this underlying cardiovascular pre-disease we talked about, what are the risk factors for preeclampsia?
2: So we know of a lot of risk factors. We know of- For certain, if somebody has had preeclampsia in a prior pregnancy, they're at risk. If they have chronic hypertension, they're at risk. And then a lot of other things. So carrying multiple gestations increases the risk, probably because of the stress to the body is greater. But underlying diseases such as kidney disease, diabetes, autoimmune conditions, all of those things put patients at risk as well. Then there's risk factors that maybe are more moderate, and those include having a high body mass index or having a family history of pre being over 35, having in vitro fertilization. We know that Black race is also a risk as well as low income status.
0: So race seems like too big a category to be a risk factor, so that must be a stand-in for something else we don't quite understand?
2: So a lot of studies have really tried to approach race and really break it down by other what we call co-founders. So we know that race can be associated with other things and can we tease it out and say, oh, is it these other things and not just race? I think that there's a lot of thought now that even when you remove co-founders and try to control for them, there does seem to be a, a risk for Black women in regards to preeclampsia. And the United States Preventative Services Task Force addresses this, and they say that Black persons and lower income, not either or, but independently, are associated with increased risk due to environmental, social, and historical inequities, shaping health exposures, access to healthcare, and the unequal distribution of resources not biological propensities. So I definitely think some people will argue all kinds of genetic environmental interactions that could be attributed to race, but people have started really talking about this theory of racism as a risk factor.
0: Yeah. Well, that seems like a super important thing to tackle and a big thing to tackle.
2: I think we're in a world now where it is being actively addressed in many, many areas of healthcare. And I hope that in years coming, we will have better ways to actually treat it and manage it yeah. than we do now. Yeah. I just attended the Society Maternal Fetal Medicine Conference in San Francisco last week. Yeah. And one of the oral plenaries talked about treating blood pressure at lower blood pressure thresholds yeah. to improve outcomes. And so instead of using the usual 140 systolic over 90 diastolic, they were really treating, I think, at 130 systolic over 80 diastolic to see if they could improve outcomes. And it does seem like using classification systems such as that could be beneficial and we definitely have seen improvements in the management of preeclampsia as we have developed better anti-hypertensive algorithms for management. And I do think they're amazing drugs that are very helpful in pregnancy.
1: But everything went well after that. And then the fourth pregnancy, that's so horrific. I wasn't able to have children after that. That whole pregnancy, I was sick the whole time and extremely sick. I couldn't hold down water, food, or anything. I just kept throwing up to the point where I had to, every other day, I was in the emergency room getting fluids. And so even the nausea medication, the Zofran, it was barely working. And so, and this is why I say I would tell Kayshawn to slow down because I was in nursing school at this time. My dad had just paid $25,000 for me to go to nursing school. And he was actually upset that I was pregnant again because I, I didn't know I was pregnant when I joined the program. And so when I found out, I'm all like, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm not wasting your money. I'm going to finish this program. I should have sat my butt down. And, but I didn't. My doctor, she's like, you're in and out of the hospital. We need to put a, a porta in your neck because we're going to have to have a nurse come to the house and give you IV so that you're not coming to the emergency room every other day. And I'm like, well, I'm in the nursing program and I can't have no porta no calf in my neck They're not going to let me come. So y'all just going to have to deal with me coming to the emergency room every other day. How old are you at this point? Oh, I'm 30 now. Okay. And so they're like, okay, fine. You know, so I'm steadily in and out. And then, oh my gosh, early third trimester. Now I'm high risk because my kidneys and my liver is starting to shut down. They don't know why. Wow. And, and they're like, we don't know what's going on with you. And you're on high risk. They couldn't find out why it's happening. Hopefully, when you deliver, everything will go back to normal. So I'm scared the remainder of this pregnancy. Can you feel it? Do you feel poorly? Oh, I'm throwing feel up. Poor. Okay. I feel weak. I feel lethargic. And I'm in nursing school, (laughs) you know, trying to maintain on the honor roll and everything. Three kids. This was the most stressful ever in my life. But the doctors, all they could say was, we hope that you get better once you deliver. Make it to the end of the, to my scheduled C-section date. It's everything is smooth. And it was like, and that's when they said at this time too, because all of this was happening, they suggested that I don't have any more kids after this. I wanted five kids. That was my goal. And I knew if they didn't see that film, like because they say, if you could see through the uterus, they'd tell you, you can't have kids anymore because it wouldn't be safe. So I knew I could potentially have one more, but with your kidneys, And your liver doing this, it's not safe. They was like, you got to get your tubes tied after this. So I got them tied, cut, and burnt after that. But uh, I didn't slow down because I was in this time in nursing school. I'm in clinicals. So I'm at the end. I can't miss anything. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I wish I could go back and tell Kayshawn to sit her butt down and rest and wait to the next semester to finish because my crazy butt. Told the doctor, I got a good rapport with the doctor, letting them know what's going on. And I'm like, I got to go back to school. So they, I had them double staple me. It, the little white strips that they put on those, they put the, the tapes, double that, wrap me up and seven days later, I was back in clinicals. Wow. And it was so hard, but I come, I come from a real hard life while I'm used to just pushing myself or I won't get to the next level or succeed, or I'm going to be continuing to struggle. My C-section scar ripped open three times. What, what does that mean? It ripped open? First, it came apart. Wow. And you know what I did? I, my doctor's office was less than five minutes away from the school. I would go to the doctor's office. Hey, I just busted open, I need y'all to close me back up. And they will close me up and I'll go back to school. I did that 3 times.
0: Wow. That that I, seems unbelievably painful.
1: It was. unbelievably pain but I was under a lot of pressure you know I'm the primary breadwinner for the family I'm not getting any assistance I got these three kids my dad just spent all this money he's not trying to continue to help me so I felt like I had to force myself to do this because I'm thinking oh life is going to be so much better and all of this but I was tearing down my body in the process, not knowing that I'm thinking I'm this strong, incredible woman, but I'm paying for it later.
0: Well, well, to be clear, you are the strong, incredible woman, but, but it's not for free, right? It's not for free. Yes. Yes. So when your daughter is born, kidneys and liver go back to normal.
1: Everything goes back to normal.
0: Okay, good. And then eventually you heal.
1: Yes, I heal. I heal because school was done. I started resting as much as oh, but I heal. But I still remained having those pains if I walk for too long or anything like that, even though they were just like, oh, it's the fibroid. But I heal. I was happy to not have preeclampsia again. She's healthy. I think this was the shortest amount of time I stayed in the hospital, which was only three days, which I was kind of shocked. I'm all like, I was high risk the whole time. Yeah, um, I was
0: going to guess 10 minutes based on the Kayshawn schedule. Right? (laughs) Yes. Wow. I mean, that's amazing. And so how old are the kids now?
1: Now 21, 19, 15, and 13.
0: Wow. Wow. Yes. So you're still kind of in the thick of it, right? That's middle school and high school? Yes. Yeah. You look amazingly calm and well-rested for that, for everything that happened and for kids in this period?
1: I try really hard. You know, going through all of these different challenges, it has taught me to look more into myself, to more self-advocacy, because finding out to have stage three endometriosis 19 years later, it could have been found a lot sooner if I was more in tune in myself. We tend to let others tell us how we feel. Feel like, oh, ignore the pain or it's not as bad or pray to God and all this stuff. And it's like if I would have just told those people to shut up and listen to me and take what I'm going through seriously, I wouldn't have suffered as long but that's part of my mission now to speak on see, of those in chronic pain or chronic health issues to stop letting others tell you what you feel. I did a post the other day that because you can't see or, or feel or understand my pain doesn't mean that it's not real.
0: I totally agree with you. I'm hoping that with more research into women's health conditions, endometriosis, fibroids, menopause, for example, that it will be less of an uphill climb for our kids than it has been for many women in our generation.
1: So, so is that your work now? Is that what you're doing now? Right now, so I have the skincare line and I do a lot of educating. I don't work in the medical field anymore, but I'm so used to educating others. And so I've been getting a lot of people follow my journey. I've been speaking about it a lot more. So I am transitioning to add to help others with their fibroids. A lot of people want to follow my journey with handling the endometriosis because I'm doing it holistically. So they want to follow me on this journey. So I'm shifting over to share that more and to help others. When I left the medical field, I kind of like thought, like, what am I going to do? I spent 20 years in the medical field. Now what? I have to re-find myself, but I've been able to see all the trauma, all the pain that I have been through, learning how to deal with it holistically. It's because now I can help others. I've had people come, as I would share, they'd be like, oh my God, I, can't, I thought I was the only one dealing with myofascial pain syndrome and... You, you've you been helping me. And then I felt guilty, like, oh my God, I've been keeping all this knowledge into myself and just those close to me. So now I have that, that urge. It's my purpose to help others with their pain holistically and naturally. And I feel I have both sides of the world. I got the medical knowledge and the holistic knowledge because of my personal experiences. So I feel good to know all of this trauma, all of this pain, wasn't for nothing because as I'm getting better, now I can help others get better as well.
0: Do you have a website or somewhere people can find you?
1: Yes, I do have a website. It is www.renewyoubodybutter.com. And that is directly to the, the website to purchase any type of a face or body skincare products. And I've, I think I can kind of say, I kind of knew I would end up to this because as I was formulating products for the skin, I was still formulating products to help with the issues like my my bath salts. It's a detox bath salt to help not only with skin, but just overall general detoxing for the body. So I'm excited for expanding into this new journey. So just on your platform and speaking. I've never done this before. I've never spoke about this story And shared on this intimate level before. So I'm so grateful, you know, for you and your platform that I'm able to share my story and help others. I totally
0: appreciate it. And we'll put a link to your website in the show notes so people can find it. Yes. Thank you. Thanks so much to Kayshon for sharing all the facets of her medical journey through pregnancy and birth. I also appreciate her candid discussion of fibroids and endometriosis. A huge fraction of women develop fibroids at some point in their lives, and the statistics for endometriosis are estimated to be one in 10, but we don't hear too much about it. We need to talk openly about it so that women feel confident taking these issues and questions about pelvic pain to an expert to get help, rather than muscle through, which too many women do. Thanks also to Dr. Jelen for her insights about preeclampsia. I find it totally inspiring to hear about all the work that's being done now to figure out exactly why this happens, and hopefully someday in the not too distant future, a way to dramatically improve outcomes for women and babies. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, subscribe and leave us a review. We'll be back next week with another inspiring story.